Welcome to this episode of the Atlantic Career Journey Podcast. My guest today is Jackie Hoffman, who's the founder and managing director of CMB Associates. She's a great example of who's passed up a few detours along the way, but she's been able to thrive in chaos. Her talents in leading projects and building teams help prepare her for a current role as a business owner and a leader in a historically male-dominated industry. Jackie shared some of her keys to success that include knowing your strengths, recognizing your weaknesses, and trusting your instincts. She also credits being flexible, taking action, and embracing change that have helped her to navigate the changing business landscape. I enjoyed catching up with her. It's been a while since we last spoke, and I hope you find this episode insightful. Hey, Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. We've we've tried to schedule this for months now, and I think our respective jobs and life have kind of kept us a little busier than we expected, but I'm, I'm glad we were able to kind of find the time here in 21 and turn over new leaves. So thank you for doing this. No, not a problem. I've been excited to um, talk with you. Yeah. So I know we, we spent a lot of time working together at Mannheim. Um, really enjoyed you know, just working with you. We're wired pretty similar in terms of our organizational skills and planning and, you know, driving towards a execution plan. So um, I'm really kind of curious to hear a little more about your background, um, where you grew up and um, maybe where you went to school. Sure. Um, I grew up in a small town um, south of Jacksonville, Florida called Orange Park. I was there um, kind of in the same house my whole life growing up. Um, went to public school up until middle school and then went to a private high school. And that was very much an eye opener to me on it shifted from the smart kids being kind of dorky to the smart kids being popular and competing to succeed. And that really instilled a lot in me um, on top of like my family background of, you know, my, my dad's a Marine and my mom was always very strong in business and they had high expectations. So it kind of went right along with that. Um, so I, that's, that's interesting transition. Cause that was something that um, happened to me in, in South Florida was kind of a mixture of public and private school. Although I was younger when I went to a, a small private Christian school. So middle school was public. What were some things that you were interested or that you were good at? In public school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Subjects, well, interest. I really liked science um, and anything science related. I was really excited about. I always wanted a telescope and a rock tumbler. And I wanted to understand um, our physical earth and space. Yeah. And that has always interested me. And that actually led me to the University of Colorado at Boulder Mm. um, for my freshman year where I studied astrophysics. Awesome. (laughs) Well, we'll get to that in a little bit because I want to kind of find out about that. So so in middle school, like you you were saying earlier, where it was sort of like uh, the the nerd crowd or the geek crowd um, from just from an academic focus perspective, was that part of the reason that uh, you want to go into a, a private high school? Um, I would say, yes, there was a lack of challenge. Um, I was Mm -hmm. making straight A's and I wasn't studying. Mm -hmm. And there were also some other things happening at public school that my parents weren't really excited about. Yeah. So I transitioned over to um, a school called Bowles, Bowles School. And one of the other things I was really involved in was cheerleading. 
I cheered my whole life. Um, so I ended up trying out for cheerleading at bowls before I ever went there. So I was somewhat of a curiosity because it is a small school mm -hmm. and I ended up making the team. So I was able to meet a group of girls before I ever went to school um, because we had, you know, camp over the summer and that type of thing. So it kind of gave you a little bit of a um, familiar faces as you're starting into a new school that helped kind of give you some ease in the transition. Absolutely. It really did make a big difference. Um, I had never gone to a different school. I was, you know, we, like I said, I kind of grew up in the same spot. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big change for me, but I was really excited. Um, I also was able to get involved with student government. Um, so I cheered, I was in student government. I really liked science mm -hmm. and physics and chemistry and that type of thing. Um, but strangely math, I struggled in some of the maths and I really, um, that was something I remember very vividly being so frustrated. Um, and it took a teacher, Mrs. Casada, to really sit down with me and explain the why and mm -hmm. how things worked with, you know, algebra and calculus and that type of thing. Cause it really, I struggled with that and it really frustrated me. Um, but I ended up kind of understanding it much better and was able to kind of move forward in that. But it's nice to have some of those mentors that can kind of take you aside and help you overcome some of those challenges, which I think is probably, you know, maybe a life lesson that you learned early to say, you know what, hey, with a little bit of help, you know, I can maybe get things going a little bit better and kind of overcome some of my challenges or fears or frustrations. Yes, that is honestly something I think it took till I was much older in my late 30s to really grasp mm -hmm. is it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Um, I was always I was a really uptight kid. I'll be really honest. I don't know how I'm as like kind of goofy as I am now because I was really uptight. Um, yeah. High stress, you know, perfectionist. If it wasn't perfect, I would wig out. Yeah. So I really, I would say until my late thirties, was I comfortable asking for help because I felt like that was a weakness, mm -hmm. not a strength, but you know, for young people, I would say, it's okay to recognize your weaknesses and ask those that are strong in those areas to help you. Um, it, you know, it strengthens you, but it also kind of helps them as well. You know, when someone asks me for help, I feel it makes me feel good because I'm helping. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, I mean, we're, I think we're in a different dynamic corporately and professionally than maybe we were 20 years ago. Cause I, I understand what you're saying exactly where, if you're asking for help, it is looked at as a weakness. And this is right. like pre-internet, pre-Wikipedia. I mean, now I've seen like my kids spit out a term paper in a 30 minutes because they didn't have to drive to the library and find out that three of the books they need are checked out. And now you're kind of stuck and you got to work ahead of time. I mean, information is so free flowing. I can figure out how to fix a refrigerator on YouTube in 10 minutes. But, right. um, you know, you you rewind 30 years and you're like, okay, well, if I ask for help, that means there I'm showing myself that I don't know what's going on and I'd rather just kind of keep my mouth shut and kind of, you know, listen and learn. And sometimes that was also the culture was like, look, you're brand new. Just sit down and shut your mouth for about five years before we ask you for your input. And that's different than it is now. Right. That's, Absolutely. Yes. It was yeah. 
you know, and, and when I started my career in, um, I would say a more professional business setting, I was much younger than everyone else. Um, yeah. I did not finish school and had to go and just start working. Um, that was, I needed to do that financially. So, mm-hmm. um, I was in a corporate environment at, you know, I had just turned, uh, 20 and started, you know, kind of working, um, in at that, at that age, um, versus, you know, a, a much older age, yeah. um, having a degree. So it was, I knew I had to, I would say fight for it a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that gave me part of the, <laughs> the, uh, spine that I have. Yeah. Was I knew I had to fight. Yeah. Bit. No, that, that makes total sense. I get that. So a couple things going on in high school, you know, involved in some activities, you know, you mentioned student government, were you starting to think about um, any sort of political science or anything in that realm? Or were you still thinking, Hey, you know what? I still like space and science and I kind of want to pursue that. Tell me about how that process went for finding a college. That, you, you know what, um, so at the time, and I don't know if this is still true today, at the time, the University of Colorado, um, their student government had, I think, $21 million in their budget. I mean, that's like a small city. Um, yeah. And so, yes, I was very interested in the political science, and I was going to take it from a law perspective as an attorney. And I started doing more and more research about law school. Um, You know, I remember writing a report when I was in fourth grade that, you know, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wanted to be the youngest Supreme Court justice. (laughs) (laughs) And um, that kind of stuck with me. But I realized I don't know if I really want to do law school and, you know, kind of argue with people for a living. Um, mm-hmm. cause that, that brings out a side of me. Maybe I don't like too much, <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed being in student government. Um, you know, I was very active in high school and I was on the housing committee when I was in college. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and it even influences me today with my interest in politics and, you know, what's going on around us, whether it's local or national, or even in some cases, some global, you know, politicking that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it, it did have an effect on where I went to school. And, you know, you have all these really, well, I had very clear plans of my life when I was younger. Um, and where I am today, I would have never guessed in a million years the journey that my career would have taken me. And I absolutely um, love where I am and how I've gotten here. It's it's definitely, you know, you try to plan everything out to the nth degree as a kind of a project or product leader. Uh-huh. And sometimes, you know, life has different plans. Yes, Yep. And it can throw you curveballs and best laid plan sometimes needs a, a plan B or some contingencies because, you know, things you can't expect come up both good and bad. Right. And so I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely want to talk about where you are today. because I think that's a really great story. But I'm curious because I, you know, I grew up in South Florida and, you know, there's some there's some there's a lot of colleges in Florida. So how did you how did you decide to go 
you know, three quarters away across the country to Colorado? What was the, what was the deciding factor about doing that? Um, well, let's see, you know, a lot, most of my friends were either going to go to Florida, Florida state, UGA, Alabama, Clemson, you know, everybody stuck kind of within the Southeast. Yep. Driving distance, right? Right. Yep. And, um, I was looking at colleges, like I was looking at Pepperdine in, in uh, Malibu, California, and I was looking at, you know, stuff that was really, I just wanted a different experience. Um, I kind of wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. I want to stay close to home. Um, I have been rather independent my most of my adult life. Um, so for me, um, I really enjoyed the idea of a completely different landscape, culture, mm-hmm. type of people, and really fight to kind of get to that next level on my own. Yeah. Um, it was really eye-opening. I loved it. Colorado is a beautiful state. We, my family, we went to the, um, I guess, what do they call that? Like the kind of like the introduction kind of first day type of um, yeah orientation or whatever orientation yes so we went and did orientation and i knew that it was kind of the right place for me um so yeah i i never i didn't even apply to schools in florida i i the my backup schools was alabama Mm-hmm. Um, Appala- in Appalachian State. So I was looking at those two. They had some interesting programs, but I was really excited to get out of the South and just try something new. Well, I know the UC Boulder is such a beautiful campus and a really beautiful area of a really beautiful state. And for those of us who are Florida natives, where the highest point's 345 feet above sea level, it's... Uh, it's a stark contrast. And so I remember going out um, to visit Colorado the first time and we w- drove through Boulder. I'm like, that's where Morgan Mindy was based. You know, it's like really stupid <laughs> stuff. But we drove through the campus and I'm like, okay, yeah, I think if I had to pick another college that, you know, was outside of Georgia, this would be my top three because it's just, it's gorgeous. I could just see there's so many outdoor activities to do. And like you said, it's such a different vibe than what you really got in the South or certainly in Florida. So I'm yes. sure you enjoyed that that uh, culture difference. It was a lot of hiking and camping. Uh, I tried to ski. I am not a good skier. I totally wrecked. <laughs> it was epic. I wish we had GoPros at the time because I would have gone viral, I'm sure. Yard sale, as they call it, right? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. It was a complete yard sale. And I just really enjoyed exploring the area. I had great roommates and friends and I'm still friends with them to this day. And they really showed me a whole different side of our country. And, you know, I rode, I rode my bike. I didn't have a car my freshman year. A lot of freshmen weren't allowed to have them. Um, So I was biking. I was in the best shape of my life. When people usually go to college, they have the freshman 15. Yeah. I lost 15 pounds. I was in top tip top shape then. Yeah. Um, and really enjoyed those types of activities. Very cool. So what did, did you come in with a major selected or were you undecided? Tell I was kind of that. undecided and yeah. took all different kinds of classes trying to figure out what I enjoyed. And I really enjoyed the, the, you know, 
the astronomy and physics and again math i know and they and they are so paired together but i just it was it's a very interesting dichotomy of the higher level like calculus and that type of thing so it wasn't that those weren't my favorite but it was the 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 other types of sciences um what was an interesting i would say color on my time in college was my worldview compared to let's say most of the teachers worldviews were very different um most were declared communists and i'm not being exaggerating that at all and i i am not so it was very interesting to see how that played into the education and that type of thing yeah i think that yeah because there's like professors have a certain i i guess they can go to one of two directions right they can just kind of follow the curriculum by the book and not really even care or they can overlay their own personality or views or perspective on things that can either really drive you and motivate you to you know want to engage or completely turn you off right yes and i think that's something that my parents prepared me for was understanding when you go to college it isn't just by the book in most cases it's these professors use them as a pulpit for either the good or not so good mm-hmm. or their own world view and you have to really learn to discern um, on your own and that is one of the key things that i was prepared for in advance and i'm glad that they said something and talked to me at length you know well in advance before you do go away from home you know what what information are you consuming who are you listening to and are you doing your own research to confirm or deny yeah and that's a skill that transcends just a college class that's you know anything in today um in our society in our news or whatnot but that really i think helped me um much more than a single class could mm-hmm. i think that yeah it's it's a lesson i think you know, certainly lately where there's been a lot of battle between, you know, one cable news channel versus another and who's right. And there's a lot of barking on both sides. But I think it's it's doing your homework, you know, and this this applies in the workspace as well. You know, if one person in your office says, oh, this is a horrible manager or this is a project that you don't want to be on or this is the best one here. Well, you know, don't take one voice as the gospel. You know, it's kind of look around do your own homework, you know, draw your own conclusions based on four or five different inputs, you know, and, and, you know, it's, that's certainly a valuable lesson that we can all take. Yes. I think, I mean, that's one of the key things that I would encourage anybody that whether you're taking a new class or reading books or whatever it might be is, does this resonate with what you feel is, is true and right? Um, and that you trust your gut. Um, yeah, that's a really important lesson. I think trusting your gut is something that, especially at a young age, you don't necessarily have the life experiences to say, you know, I don't think this sounds right, but yeah, you know, what do I know? All right, let's just kind of roll with it and see what happens. But more often than not, your gut, whether it's a class or a relationship or a job or, you know, anything beyond, you know, family and school and work, um, usually is right more often than not. Right. I think as you get older, at least when I was kind of 
coming up it was that wasn't really talked about much it was kind of don't listen to that just use you know maybe the intellect side but there is your intuition and you know, there is something that just it there is literally a gut check with things and mm -hmm. i have learned to trust it much more as i've gotten older um so that i think that would be another key thing is a learn to sift through information and determine you know what is truth and to also trust what what your intuition is saying um there is always kind of that voice yeah yeah it, it definitely can serve you well in times where you don't necessarily have all of the data right At least, yep very cool so you did so what did you wind up settling as a major were you um was it astronomy and physics that was it um i left school after that year oh wow okay I had to come home to Florida to work. Gotcha. All right. It wasn't. So, it wasn't something that I. I would say I exactly chose, but it was life uh, circumstances. Yes, yeah. and so I just I did some. I would say junior college stuff, but it really didn't hold my interest. So I just started working, and. Well, tell me about that. So when you come back, you come back to Florida and, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out, do I want to continue with school or do I find, you know, um, a job right away that can actually, you know, become my pr profession or career or whatever the case is? What was what did that look like for you? Um, <laughs> that was I'm going to call that when I was on the struggle bus. OK, that was, that was one of the toughest periods of, of my of my life. Um, yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, I needed to pay rent and have food and gas and needed, you know, to get around. So when I started working and going to school, I was really burning it at both ends. The, the candle was, was getting burnt at both ends for sure. And there was a point where I had to make a decision of, do I continue this? type of stress level or do i just pivot and start working and build a career based on experience versus leveraging a degree mm -hmm. now um that doesn't work for everybody but it worked for me and i would encourage people to really evaluate is college the right path is a technical school the right path Mm -hmm. is a different type of vocation um you know different skill sets you know i i felt that what i had to do was the right thing for me and so i went into business and a professional environment started to learn systems and processes and i started i would say to balk at my manager about how we were doing things mm -hmm. imagine that um <laughs> No, I and, can't see that. No, not at all. And um, they saw something in me when I didn't and encouraged me to learn and get certified in Six Sigma. So at a very young age, I was leading a department and managing people and really kind of I didn't, I mean, I look back now, I barely was, you know, knew what I was doing, but I definitely had the heart in it mm -hmm. and really enjoyed understanding processes and systems 
how those things interacted with the people using them and ultimately the customer. And so that really, I would say, was the seeds of my future career. I think so that's, that's really two good points that you just made. One is college isn't for everybody. And I have, you know, some folks in my family that straight out of college went into different trades. Um, you know, some were more entrepreneurial, some were more, um, you know, like one of my cousins went straight into Bell South at the time, which is now AT&T. And so I think to, if, if you are not ready for going to college, why spend the money and waste those years if you're not going to get anything out of it? Because I've seen lots of folks, even in, you know, around where we live, where kids have come out, they're expected to go to school. They just have no passion for it. They get sent out of state and, you know, pretty soon you've spent 50 grand or more and then they wind up failing out, coming back home and they've just got a bunch of debt now and they're no better off than where they were a year before. So I think really getting an understanding of, do I want to go down a technical track? Do I want to go down some other track? Are there opportunities outside of school that maybe I can get involved now? And one of my other cousins went back to school in his late thirties, you know, and his, right. his, his um, company at the time said, you know, we want to move you into management. You have to have at least a two year degree. We're willing to pay for it, you know, work around your schedule because he had no interest. You know, you think about after working for 20 years, you're like, what is, what is business school going to teach me? that I don't already know. I'm already running this operation for this company, you know, but it's, it's a piece of paper and it's, it's sort of a, you know, it's a checkbox for some people to say, you know, I can't move you in this without that, but you have to be ready for it. And I think um, it's not always when you're 18. So I think that's a really good point that you made. Um, the other one I think is the, the company you went to work for, you, you wound up with, I'll call it a mentor, even though you didn't, but I think having somebody that recognizes the skills and the talents and the potential I think it's really important as a young person to come in and find out, even if it's not in the company, but something that can give you the tools and insight to be able to say, hey, you know what? You're really good with processes and structure and systems, and you've got organizational skills, and you really think logically about a number of things. I think you'd be really great for this role. So those are those were two things I think that jumped out in that story. Yes, there, there were some key people that um, challenged me. I definitely would say they challenged me and I challenged back. And I think there was a level of amusement um, because they <laughs> may not have, might not have expected it from me, uh, uh -huh. but Moxie they, as they call it. Huh? <laughs> yes. And I was going to fight for it and, and my team and, understanding some of the problems that we were experiencing. It was um, a utility billing company. And I grew up in that company. Basically, I started in making $10 an hour as a billing agent, mm -hmm. 10 keying thousands of entries into a, an AS400 system, mm -hmm. um, thousands a day. And I started asking questions and I'm sure annoying my team leaders and, and vice presidents and president even mm -hmm. um, to, you know, let's, can we change things? Can we improve this? And that was where they said, aha, she might need to try this. Mm -hmm. And so they, that's where they really started that um, program. And that's what really made sense with me. That's what really resonates with my brain. Yeah. And um, the journey was really fun. A lot of hard work. It was not fast. It was equivalent to a four-year degree. 
was yeah. getting all of my levels into my my black belt certification and you have to have a year of tracked ROI improvements to the bottom line. It, it's not just some fake, here's a certification and there you go. You have to demonstrate um, six figures of improvement for a green belt and a million dollars plus for a black belt. Yeah. So those, those things were really valuable to me. And um, so, it, yeah, it does go to when you're young and we have a, a daughter who is a senior this year and we're going through these decision points. Are you really excited about going to college? Mm -hmm. If not, why don't you take a year off and work and figure out what you're passionate about or the types of work that you do or don't want? Because not only is a first year of maybe just your kind of stuttering and stopping and starting and not thriving, that psychologically affects you. That mm -hmm. makes you feel like a failure. And I would want anybody, you know, graduating high school to take these steps deliberately so that you are on a small success plan each time. Yeah. Um, definitely you learn from stumbling it definitely that helps but again you don't want to gamble with a huge amount of money fifty thousand dollars a year of your life mm -hmm. um others that might be exactly what they want to do because they know in their hearts what they what they want to do with their lives but there's so many other paths and i'm excited that this is kind of a trend and there are different ways to succeed as an adult yeah you don't have to follow this one cookie cutter way. And I think that that resonates with the younger folks today. Yeah, for sure. They, I think they have certainly a lot more insight um, to see different tracks and different paths. And that's one of the reasons I put this podcast together, but also it's, you know, like you were saying about maybe doing some research, if you, cause you mentioned earlier about, you know, your thoughts of going to law school or being a lawyer. So even if you were like, am I, am I ready for school now? If I, if I take a job as a, I don't even know what they do in law offices or any, anything in the law world. Yeah. You know, without like, like say without, you know, a lot of training needed, or if they go to work as a clerk somewhere in a court system and kind of see, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm all kind of on the inside and kind of seeing what some of these people do with their law degrees and their experience. And does that look like something I'd want to see? There's nothing wrong with doing that, especially taking risks in your twenties. You don't really have a lot to lose. You have a lot oh, yeah. to gain in terms of experience and just understanding, you know, how does, how I'm wired in my interests, you know, match up with some of the things I'm seeing and some opportunities. And then once you have that vision, then you can go after it and know that, you know what, even if I'm struggling with physics in my sophomore year, I know there's light beyond this. And I know this is really what I wanted because I've seen it. Absolutely. Um, the risk taking, I, have done some crazy things career-wise, mm -hmm. um, risks, moving to different states, taking different jobs. And, you know, I didn't have much to lose. Um, I traded those for some other things. Um, I'm having a family much later in life. Um, but I would, I don't think I would have done it different. Yeah. I think I learned a great deal. I appreciate where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate my career path. If you just looked at a resume, it might look a little schizophrenic. However, in my head and where I was going, it made sense. And it just, 
taking those next steps. It was expanding and pushing, pushing me up against maybe an edge that I didn't know was there mm -hmm. or it allowed me to grow in another area. So that is something that when I look back, I was doing and not realizing that I was doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really, that's a really important point. Um, I'm curious to see, like, how did you go from a billing service to a wholesale auction for automobiles? <laughs> oh goodness. So actually it was during the, I would say economic downturn of 2008 mm -hmm. and to, around 2009 when that period of time occurred the the business that i was contracted to work in texas was getting positioned to either go national or to sell to a, a national competitor and so they were in that process and i was out of a job at that point and i took some time off the actual first i was off for about 65 days and it was the first time in my adult life that I had not worked because I started working when I was 14 yeah and so I had always worked and that was a part of the culture in our family was you had to have a job and earn your own way kind of a thing and I was able to take some time off and breathe and relax and focus on some of my hobbies that I didn't realize that I enjoyed. Yeah. And I had reached out to a few of my contacts to, you know, start to look for work. And I reached out to a friend of mine that had a small consulting firm and he said, Hey, we have a need for a project manager and would you be interested? So He's like, you're going to have to interview with everybody. He's like, but I could at least introduce you to those folks. So that's what really brought me to Mannheim and to the automotive auction. Now I am a gearhead car junkie. Yeah. My dad's a master machinist and we grew up with cars and motorcycles. And, you know, I've always generally driven a sports car of some sort. So it kind of resonated with me. You, you pair IT fun project management with you know the automotive sector it was kind of right up my alley yeah match made in heaven right yeah so i really enjoyed that um and i think too the the um i was just to say like just the power of your network i think that's another important lesson is that you know once you sort of get into the work world and this starts really in school but maintaining a network of people that are in various industries and different types of work and being able to tap into that when you are either trying to find a transition or you're lear learning about other industries or jobs or things like that is really important. It's not like this was certainly an example where your network paid off to provide an opportunity for you. Yes, it did. Um, I would not have even known that that opportunity existed. I think that it was a project that was growing, so it wouldn't have been posted anywhere. And Again, you know, back to our original point of asking for help, mm -hmm. I still at that point felt like I had failed and was asking people to, you know, oh, help poor me. It was still uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And it took years since then to get comfortable with reaching out and asking questions and saying, Hey, we need, I need this. Is this something that you can help me with? And so at that time it still felt uncomfortable. However, I know I knew at that time I needed to have that next step because I am such a um, high level planner mm-hmm. that I needed to have my next step in lined up because it was, you know, two months to me, that was the most not irresponsible, but I felt like this is okay. I'm, I'm done. I need to really buckle down. And there were all different types of opportunities that I was looking at the, at that time. And again, taking risks, there were jobs in Denmark that I was looking at over in Europe, all over the country, one in New York city in you know, Manhattan in the financial sector. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of different things, but Atlanta was kind of calling back to me. And so I interviewed and I'll tell you what I thought in my head that interviewing with a, of somebody that knew me previously or a network person, it would be a little easier. It was the opposite. I was, I think much more highly scrutinized because they didn't want to have any perception of um, uh, nepotism or, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was getting interviewed by the FBI or something, <laughs> but I got through it and I ended up working with some people much more experienced than me. I was definitely the, the least experienced on our team. And I learned so much from all of those people that we worked with. I mean, these were super high professionals in some cases, kind of semi-retired, just kind of working to stay active and, you know, in the, in the industry. So I was able to really be around them and pick up habits and understand why they, you know, their lines of thinking. So that was a really great opportunity for me. Yeah. And, and it, and it opened some doors up that you had no idea would exist. Cause I, I just know in your tenure at Mannheim or Cox Enterprises as a large, right. You were part of Mannheim Yes. Or a dealer match and yes. part of RMS. And so having those those three transition points almost um, was probably, you know, certainly an interesting story. I'm curious to hear how those were for you. But um, just it seems like you've been always willing to kind of listen and be open to new ideas or what the next um, step might be for you personally and professionally. So tell me a little bit about those, those transitions. So... I had worked as a consultant for a few years at Mannheim, working on projects ranging from outsourcing outsourcing a network operations center from internal to Cisco. We worked on the wide area network upgrades, switching from frame relay to MPLS, all the way to building the vehicle entry systems into all the auctions. That was more of a construction style project with some process elements in there Mm -hmm. to strictly IT with all of the Chrome data and the breakouts with all of how you, you know, decode a VIN. So one of the guys that I had been kind of working with mentioned they were, I think, hiring in a mission control team. 
And this was when Woodson was managing the mission control group. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know at the time if it was possible for me to become an employee based on my contract. I didn't want to blow up the relationship with my consulting group and Mannheim. But at the time, it was totally fine. And I was able to apply for it and got the job in as um, a program manager with Mission Control that focused on the national accounts, which was really exciting because I got to work across the, the client itself, the national client account reps, which manage those relationships. And this is where you and I really started working closely together and mm -hmm. the whole IT group and all the technology and engineers. And that was really fun to be able to work on big um, RFPs and big proposals and manage you know, the work that goes into all of those. Mm -hmm. And so from that, um, I think like a year and a half later, there was a major organizational change and they restructured pretty much everything in that digital space. I don't know if you remember those days. Yes, I do. So at that point, Dealer Match was an incubator company that Cox Automotive was funding and starting up. And so I reached out again to my network and said, hey, you know, this thing that I'm working on, we don't have budget any longer. I might get shifted to another group. Is this something that I would, you know, be well suited for? So I interviewed and kind of jumped over to Dealer Match and was there. And that was, I'm kind of, I've now realized a startup junkie. Mm -hmm. When things get too rigorous and covered with red tape is when I don't perform well. Yeah. I need to be in the middle of chaos building businesses. I don't like a slow and steady pace where it's just kind of an assembly line. That's it. I'm not well suited for that. And I'm glad I've identified that because I can choose things that I will thrive in versus kind of die on the vine. That's actually really interesting insight for what you discovered of how you're wired. Because if you kind of think about, you know, we joked about our, you know, kind of project management wiring and how we like to have a plan and the structure and all that. It's interesting to kind of hear that you say, not only are you great at that, but you also thrive even in an environment you wouldn't typically think that you would. So how did you, how did you uncover that skill or that, um, um, that comfort level in that type of an environment? Um, I would say a lot of feedback from other people. Sometimes you're blind to your own personality traits or strengths or weaknesses. And I would get certain feedback about weaknesses and I figured out why. And then I would get other positive feedback and I was like, oh, okay. And so I remember a single conversation that I had with my boss at the time and <laughs> I was complaining that I felt pigeonholed and he looks at me and he said, so you've been doing the same thing for how long? And I was like eight weeks and he's <laughs> like, and you feel pigeonholed. And I'm like, I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and I started to laugh and he's, he was laughing with me. Um, it could have blown up in my face. Yeah. Um, however, at that point, I realized when businesses are new and you're in that, there's like 
the crawl, walk, run phase of, you know, how businesses grow mm-hmm. when you're in the crawling and, and early walking stage. I really enjoy that because every day is different. You wear a bunch of different hats. There is a lot of context switching, which can be a struggle for me at times. However, when you've got like a bigger goal to make this thing work, you push that kind of to the side and you just execute. I mean, one day I could be ordering polo shirts for the sales team and, you know, fixing a whiteboard because it wasn't organized enough all the way to the next day, dealing with major strategy of how we're going to deploy a Salesforce instance and being the administrator on that. So those types of um, pivots, I really, that's what really wakes me up in the morning. Yeah. So great. That was, that was dealer match. Awesome. And then, so RMS was another uh, startup type yes. of a feel. Yes. I, yeah, absolutely. So when dealer match, when they decided to absorb a portion of the engineering group and the algorithms that they were using for some of the predictive modeling and the, the business intelligence um, and kind of absorbed the rest of that into the organization. I went over and spoke with RMS, which was kind of one of their next incubator companies. Mm-hmm. And so I started working there as an IT project manager and worked my way up um, to a director position working with teams in the US, the UK and China. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a lot of fun again because you're growing this rapidly, you know, um, developing organization. Things are constantly changing. I mean, when we started, it was a couple developers, QA testers and project managers and product people all in a big room. And you're basically like shouting at each other about like, okay, have you tested this? What does this look like? I mean, it was, you know, chaos again. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. That was, I think, one of my most favorite developments with the organization. And then again, once when, once it starts getting really steady state and matured, mm-hmm. I know I need to move on to the next thing. That's yeah, that's really important to to understand that it, as you know, as things become more operational, streamlined, and so you've kind of got your your market path set that you need to start thinking, okay, what's next? Right? Can I can I continue to feed my interest and my talents here? Is there a next kind of level to that at this company, or do you start thinking what's beyond this? And and so is that kind of did you start thinking about hmm, do, do I maybe want to open my own shop and do some things where I am the boss can control some things. What was, what were your thoughts as you were kind of getting into that operational state with your last job? You know, that's a really great question. And for years I had been talking with one of my good friends. She and I have had, I would say similar skill sets and career path, but totally different industries. Mm -hmm. And she and I have always talked about our own thing. You know, what can we do? We can, you know, we can do these things, you know, what skills are complementary, what are overlapping so that we can really, you know, flourish. And so I had decided 
in my head and heart, I would say much earlier on, but we made it final. It was, I would say January of 2019. I had set up an LLC and I said, you know, what is our timeline looking on this? And I was still, you know, at RMS and I could see the handwriting on the wall. Things were getting, we were getting absorbed back into the whole um, Cox Automotive um, enterprise. And I, I kind of understood we might either get eliminated, our team might get absorbed. So I wanted to be prepared. Mm -hmm. And so she and I had talked, we said, it'll probably take a year to get this thing off the ground with the certifications and all of the, you know, small business um, certification. There's the WOSB and WBE. Those things take a lot of time. And I didn't realize that, but I certainly learned. Um, so I said, let's, let's give this about a year to go through like our business plan and develop our strategy and our sales funnel and that type of thing. And then, you know, we both can step away and, and start this full time. Um, in April, that got accelerated with our team getting restructured. So it actually worked out very um, wonderfully for me. I would have to say that it was a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. And so I called her and said, hey, you know, our timeline, I think, just got moved up a little bit. And so we started working at that point on, you know, just cranking everything up faster. So the end of October of 2019 is when we launched our brand and our website and really started kind of turning things on. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the, the decision it was. There's the startup life of really obviously taking something and creating, you know, something from nothing. And obviously 2020 has been a very unique time mm -hmm. for business and work. And we've, we've taken some, I would say, taken our lumps this past year. However, we're still, you know, moving forward. I'm working with you know, she and I both do our own contract work. Mm -hmm. So I'm working with um, another startup, actually two other startup companies and we'll be expanding. I think some of the footprint that we have, we've been focused, you know, CMB associates has been focused on the energy sector and working in the commercial power, oil, gas, nuclear, for the past year. And that was, that's her background. And, you know, I was supporting that whole process to uh, begin staffing and consulting with that industry. With COVID and our current administration, we have to assess um, shifting our, our footprint a little bit because of the contraction in the industry. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm working with some IT and more technology staffing, which I've been, you know, working hiring project managers and business analysts for almost 20 years. So it's I'm well suited for this. And, you know, we're still continuing on. So we're just kind of expanding and shifting and and having to really be fluid right now in how we're approaching 
our business and our growth and, and what, what our next steps are, because it really did throw us for a loop. Yeah. And I think certainly starting out a business, you're thinking 2019 economy is still really good, you know, kind of like green pastures in front of you. And then, you know, in March of 2020, everything changes for everybody. And I think it's yeah. you know, certainly for a new business. I know you're trying to kind of get your feet settled on kind of grow the business and, and um, where the pieces are sort of arranged where, you know, but now everybody's trying to figure out what's the new normal look like. So I guess, you know, at this point, there's probably, there's a, oh crap moment, but there's also, hey, we might have some opportunities with the way things are shifting and companies might need our help. And let's try to figure out how we can adjust our end to match up to what new needs there are in the marketplace. Is that sort of what you're, y'all are trying to think through now? Yes. Um, she's had some really good ideas that are, I would say, proprietary that I don't want to sure. pass on, but mm-hmm. There are some ways that we've been able to pivot and, um, you know, it was, it could have been um, a huge ego blow the last year because of what's happened with COVID, Mm -hmm. but we're both, I would say the same level of moxie (laughs) (laughs) and resilience and figuring out those next steps and you know, we've both done this before. It's, this isn't, um, this isn't anything new. We've both lived through the, you know, economic downturns and, you know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's just shifting gears again, putting on our thinking hats. What, you know, what other types of clients can we, you know, reach out to and we're leveraging partnerships with other um, staffing organizations that we can partner with to you know gain access to different types of contracts so that's where we are right now um, yeah it's it is definitely i would say my wheelhouse because there's lots of activity with lots of things of you know growing and shifting and so i'm definitely staying busy and helping um some you know other organizations grow as well and that always makes me feel good is getting those things off the ground into market. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you'd mentioned before just about how you thrive in chaos and, you know, that kind of charges you up and gets you motivated. And if you were just in sort of an operational mode, not that, you know, a startup that's a little over a year old is, is in an operational mode anyway, but um, it seems like you're wired the right way to be able to take a look at what's happening now, what's shifting and really kind of figure out what's going to be next and new and not get, too overwhelmed by it or intimidated that, you know, Oh, we had this perfect plan and now it's all blown up and we're done. Right. Yeah. Um, I like, like I said, my past is looks really schizophrenic. It doesn't look like there's a straight line anywhere on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And I've learned I'm good with that. Yeah. And for young people, some people get really locked into rigidity and I, you know, I, I can't deviate from this. The, 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 one of the most important things in any part of your career is being flexible mm-hmm. mentally and with your skills, um, learning something new. Maybe, you know, I was asked to become a Salesforce administrator and that was, I mean, something I had never done before and 
had to figure it out and just, you know, flying by the seat of my pants. But you just sometimes you just got to jump in. Um, you know, if, I think there was a one of the the guy who owns Virgin is it Charles Branson mm-hmm. is basically Richard Branson. Yeah. Richard Branson. He there's some great quotes that he has about basically, you know, if they ask you to do something you don't know how to do. Agree to it and figure it out. Um, learn how to do it and do it to the best of your ability. And I've, I've done that and I'm going to continue to do that. And that's a skill that works with everything, whether it's a relationship or you're learning karate or learning how to, um, I don't know, cooking or whatever, just that flexibility. Yeah. Um, that mental flexibility will keep you insulated from the storm because you will get knocked around. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that, um, you know, kind of growing up and having, you know, I've had several different types of careers and you just have to embrace it and don't, don't resist it. Yeah. Um, it could be fun. You can really, it can really be a lot of fun. Yeah. I think that's the right mindset to have is if you can embrace the change and try to find little nuggets where you're having fun to kind of motivate you and not be overwhelmed. But I think having some of that, um, that mental practice and you mentioned like karate, there's all things that come around discipline and learning and forms and then reacting. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things you can take with an activity that you are starting up and then apply that in other areas of your life that can really help you or um, help you cope with some of the change going on. Right. And one of the, I would say the coping parts, you know, I haven't really mentioned this, but throughout my career, it wasn't me. It was my team and the people I worked with that made it what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked with some of the best people and people that I am still very close with. They're you know part of our family. And going through some of these changes and maintaining your sense of humor, mm-hmm. having the games, having the jokes, having just that camaraderie made it so much better. Um, I was never in a vacuum with any part of my career. There were always great people around me that I was able to lean on and learn from. I try to be the dumbest person in the room. Mm -hmm. I really do. I I really like to learn from people. Um, And, you know, the teams that I had at RMS, amazing people. And the teams at Dealer Match, I mean, there's still reunions with these groups. You know, people are still, you know, talking about the good old days. The people that I had at um, Viterra Ista and those those organizations, you know, it's not just a company. It's made up of people. Mm-hmm. And they have they're the ones that that made it like that personal element. It was it was never just me in a vacuum doing work. It was always, you know, a team of people getting stuff done when the, you know, when it was hitting the fan Mm -hmm. and pulling crazy hours or, you know, you're traveling with people across the world or to, you know, Ohio or California and you're spending, you know, 10 days trying to get something launched and, you know, you can lean on them. So that, that was something that really, I think made a big difference was the teams. Yeah, I, 
because I think that you, you, there's never one person that does things, right? There's always a team that's helping to deliver some of these things. Some, some may be more visible. And certainly if you look at, at, you know, the top of a corporate pyramid, that there's one figurehead that's, you know, maybe taking some of the responsibility or achievements um, are recognized for that person, but it's always a team that gets things done. And I think it's, it's really good for you to recognize that. And then it also helps you to build your network. And it sounds like you've done a great job of maintaining that with people that you respect, that you like, that you work together well with. And you just never know when paths are going to cross again. And especially, you know, in Atlanta, it's a, we're a big city, but we're pretty small as well. And you tend to run into people again and again. And as things pop up, you know, having that network to be able to lean on like, hey, I need to fill this this position or this opportunity. And I've got three people that I know are awesome. I've worked with them before. They're great. Or Hey, I'm looking for some, you know, some new business and, you know, what do you think is going to happen in the next 18 months in this area? So yeah, it's just, it really, really is helpful to kind of keep those networks um, live and thriving. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I just, I wanted to make sure not to forget to talk about <laughs> the, the people that I was working with. Um, you know, my, my role in it, in many cases, wasn't about my skills as much as it was giving them everything they needed to do their job without any in, impediment. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the training, the tools, the technology, whatever it was, it was getting the crap out of the way. Yeah, and allowing them to really flourish. And I would, I would hope that that is something that. Um, is a bit of a little bit of a legacy because it, it was important for me as a, a young leader with a lot of people that were very experienced to respect that and enable them to just be the best they could be. Um, yeah. And so that was something I've always tried to do. Not perfect, obviously, but that was something I really um, enjoyed seeing people that worked with or for me to get their wings and fly. There's a lot of people that have found new career paths or gotten really well promoted or found a new path or a different skill set. It's that to me, that's, that's kind of where the, this, the good stuff is. Um, when you yeah. start to see not just a company growing, but people individually taking off or really discovering a lot about themselves. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's really powerful. So let me ask you this. So as, as a female business owner, tell me about some of the challenges you have faced as well as some of the rewards that you've gotten as, as, as a small business owner and as a female-led um, organization. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, with, um, with, with CMB Associates, because we are still, I would say, in our, our young baby stages, some of the challenges were getting those certifications. It was not straightforward. It was not simple. It may have been user error on my side, mm -hmm. but there were some, some crazy hoops to jump through because of all of the government type of work that we are dealing with. Um, there was just, there's a lot of red tape. Um, I've not experienced anything I would say negative directly like a discrimination or any anything of that nature it would probably be the opposite of the celebration of you know we're proud that you've taken the risk 
And, you know, a lot of women wouldn't do that. Um, in my career, generally speaking, I'm underestimated. Um, and that's okay. I've gotten, you just kind of smile and wave with that. Um, but that's cool because then you can fly into the radar and perform and then kind of, you know, have people surprised later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was a woman in technology and very generally male dominated areas with automotive and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I haven't had that much, um, I would say blowback or anything. You just have to sometimes fight a little different in push and to, to be heard. But I think that's like that for everyone. Yeah. Um, I've tried to be vocal and, you know, push, I would say topics or concerns. And if I didn't, I would, you know, get someone else to speak with me, Mm -hmm. but I generally haven't had that much of, um, I would say negative feedback or, or hurdles, at least that I've recognized. I mean, they might've been there and I just didn't realize it. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a bonus where you're not sort of maybe um, distracted by some of that. And you just kind of continue to go down what you think is the right path. And whether you hear, you know, some of the the uh, discussions or not, um, it's just helpful to, you know, not get distracted by that maybe. Right. And, you know, um, I think there's, you know, there's always going to be some sort of forces that are going to shift or block others. And I try to just keep my head down and execute mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, perform and, and deliver on, you know, what we've discussed and, But as far as like the political part, it hasn't been much of anything. I would say as a um, woman in small business, it's honestly, there's a lot of benefit to it because you get set asides with the government and, you know, special things here and there. So there is a bit of a leg up if you choose to open a business and and be designated as such. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have seen people abuse it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have seen um, businesses that are quote unquote women owned that it's just, you know, not truly that. Yeah. um, To be able to obtain the set aside. But I mean, that's human nature. Yeah. You expect that. I, you know, so um, I would say for young women that are interested in doing these things, do not walk in fear to just move forward and open your business and take all the opportunity that you can. Um, it's, it's very rewarding. There's, it can be very stressful at times because you know, you're having to make it on your own, but that's kind of an element of freedom there as well. That's great advice. Yeah. I think that is yeah. something to embrace. And I think, cause I'm going to, I usually end, you know, with a, question of if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? And I think that may tie into some of the things that you're, you're now living and doing today. So what, uh, what would be some advice you'd give to a younger you? Goodness. Um, do not be afraid. 
would be, I think one of the biggest things is do not walk in any sort of fear Mm -hmm. and don't be afraid of that risk. Um, I think, I think young women, generally speaking, are taught not to negotiate or taught not to push back or to be um, very amiable and pliable to the thoughts and whims of others. Mm -hmm. And I would probably tell myself to trust my gut, to not be afraid and push forward for what I wanted. Um, There was a lot of, um, I would say in my head is more, I would say my own psychology was me hindering me. Yeah. And um, my dad specifically when I was younger encouraged me and taught me how to negotiate, whether it be for your job or a raise or whatnot. And I have, I have had to teach most of my women friends that ask me about it, how to do it because you're not taught men. It's usually like second nature. You're like, you know, that's part of being a guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But for women, it's not as um, second nature. So I've been able to encourage my daughters to um, not be afraid to start their own business or to take a different career path that might not be traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't be afraid. We're not going to let you hit the ground. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. there was a lot in my head of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail and everyone's going to know. And I'm right. going to be humiliated for the rest of my life. Nobody's watching you that closely. Yeah. And if you are, you probably need to call the cops or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's bigger issues going on. <laughs> right. Um, that It's okay. Um, I have failed in some most spectacular ways and I've learned so much. And I remember I made a mistake one time and the president of the company, I was so worried. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to start packing my desk. And he said to me, he goes, oh, you're not going anywhere. He goes, we just made a huge investment in you. He goes, you're sticking around for a while. Mm-hmm. And it, he was like, you know, it was, it wasn't mean. It was, he was being funny about it, but it was true. It was an investment. I learned, obviously I would never make that same mistake again. Um, but I was able to take the risk and there's the right decision. There's the wrong decision. And then there's no decision. And that's the order of, you know, extreme, like where you need to go. You need to make some sort of a decision and don't be afraid because fear locks you up. It causes you to just freeze up and you're not going to do anything or take action. Mm -hmm. And that was, I would say younger Jackie, don't be afraid. Listen to your gut and um, take the risk. There's a, there's a higher reward there. And I've been, I've been, I always bounced higher. Like if I, you know, did something bad. I learned from it and was able to, you know, get a, either a better job or work in a new industry or with cool people. I've never really just, you know, completely fell apart. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that all is rooted in fear. So yeah, do not be afraid, my child. Great, great insight. And I think it's, it shows that you know, when you can get beyond that wall of fear, there's some really amazing things that you can find if you can just sort of 
gain some of that courage to get through it and um, certainly embrace that as a younger person, I think is better. So really good advice, Jackie. I appreciate it. And thanks for walking through your story today. This has been really great. I've known you for a long time and I learned a lot of things I didn't know about you. So these are always, these are always great conversations I have with the guests. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Paul. I felt very honored that I am, you know, the, the people that I am a peer with now that you've had on your, your podcast. It's been I feel very honored. Well, you were one of my favorites to work with. And like I said, I think we're wired very similar, similar senses of humor. So um, it was always a lot of fun. So I was looking forward to having you on the guest list anyway. So you should be, you, uh, you should feel like you belong as part of this. Cause I, I, I knew from the beginning that you were one of my guests. So thank you so much. Thank you too, Paul. All right. Take care. You too.